Give a little time for the child within you. Don't be afraid to be young and free. Undo the locks and throw away the keys and take off your shoes and socks and run you. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. And this is Jordan, Jesse, go! This week on Jordan, Jesse, Go, we're joined by D.C. Pearson. And finally, somebody takes on the insane clown posse. Okay, let's go. Jordan, Jesse, Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. Dusk in Los Angeles. The sunlight dappling the sky trees. The Scientologists coming out of their cocoons to greet the night. My tailor. Mm-hmm. Went and I went and uh, ordered a jacket. Congratulations on having your own tailor. A tailor here in Los Angeles. By the way, uh, let's bring in our guest here before I get into this sure. tailor situation. His name is DC Pearson. He's a celebrated novelist. He's an acclaimed writer and actor of uh, the film Mystery Team. Um, he is the star of a one-man show. America's most beloved theatrical form. <laughs> he recently wrote for the Video Music Awards. Oh. That's true. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hey, what's how's up? How's it going? How's it going? Uh, the, I ran out of stuff. The, oh, I, wanted to, I, I didn't want to chime was, in until you ran out of superlatives. I, I wanted to see how deep it would go. I was pretty sure I saw him slightly out of focus in the background of an episode of Community. That's correct. I've also okay. been in focus in a couple of them. Excellent. I've had one to two lines in Excellent. a couple of episodes of Community. Excellent. Um, Wait, in like the world of Community, are you a character who goes to the school? I am, in fact. My character's name is Mark. Um, it was Mark, and I saw in the script initially, in the first episode that I was in, it was spelled M-I-L-L-O-T, uh, and I decided that it was pronounced Malo, or that at least my character would pronounce it Malo. Not okay. Malo. Not Mio. No. No, that he wouldn't. That's a bit much. Right, exactly. No, well, the, I don't think he would know to pronounce it that way. Right. What kind of a guy is Mark Millow? Where does he see himself uh, in Well, he's, a, he's very big into extracurricular, extracurricular activities. Okay. He is, what he was about on curricular the, he was established. He's, he's super into curricular activities. Oh, okay. He's extra into curricular activities. <laughs> right. But and then he's super, super into, into extracurricular activities. activities. Do you have high hopes that your recurring, extremely minor character mm-hmm. on Community will become a beloved fan favorite like Dino Stamatopoulos is? Did. Um, well, mine doesn't have an interesting uh, physical physical attribute. attribute. Yeah, like Starburns, Starburns. Starburns, of course. But Dino is also a fixture on the writer writing staff. He's like, a, I'm not sure what kind of executive producer or something he is, mm. but he's like a big creative force on that show, actually. But and it's I great because I think it's reasonable to say also a celebrated public madman. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Noted eccentric. Yes. Dino Stamatopoulos. Sure. Yeah. Do you ever think of maybe like rending control of the writing staff away from Dino Stamatopoulos so you can create a character arc for Mark Millo where he makes out with Alison Brie? Well, I don't. Well, actually, that would be rending it because rending, I believe you mean resting. W. You can rend something away. But rending is. Rending it, you would would rip it up. Yeah. That's so what I, I mean, would rend destroy it. Destroy the yeah, exactly. Staff. That's exactly yeah. what I would be doing. In fact, so yeah. you are you are correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I you try to do a lot of makeout based 
like riffs on set yeah. where you just the camera's rolling and you just might grab someone's face and try to yeah, make out with them. see where it goes. It's not smiled upon, mm-hmm. but it is reacted to, certainly. Mm-hmm. You know, it does sure. get, a, it does get right. a reaction. Things happen after you do it. <laughs> exactly. So if that's the main goal, then, okay. then, that, then that's working. Uh, no, I have, I mean, I have been, because um, Dan Ekman, the director of Mystery Team and one of the members of, of my comedy group, Derek, is going to be directing an episode of Community coming up this season. Season. And so he's been shadowing uh, the directors, Joe and Anthony Russo, mm-hmm. on set and just kind of like learning the ropes and whatever. And he sent me a picture from set because the community um, art directing or props or whatever, the art department is really, really amazing. And they do really hyper detailed stuff. And he sent me a, a picture of just a poster that was on a wall in a scene that's like a, an advertisement for a play or something. And my character was actually in the play. Oh, like wow. they had a full cast list and my character's name was there. So that was pretty exciting. I'm tired of that. You're tired of hyper elaborate no. art. I'm hi- I'm tired of people sending me something that was on in the background of a sitcom. I, I, I thought uh, uh, I, I thought that that kind of thing uh, ultimately was the downfall of Arrested Development, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wish that shows would focus uh, more of their energy and resources on um, having uh, human like characters. Interacting in a humanish way. Uh, I would, I, I would, I would human, agree with but you. Humorous way. I, I, I agree with you um, in principle. I will say though, I think since it's an entirely different department, it's not like the art department's like, oh, we forgot to write the script yeah. Yeah, in the, all the time true. that we were making hyper elaborate posters. So it's not like there's their effort could otherwise but that be going. Still into has the to be made a priority on the program, and we'll get back to my tailor in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do, I do agree with you in the case of Arrested Development that I think that Arrested Development basically was often much more clever than it was funny yeah. and a, th- a million hipsters are screaming and, and, and they don't know why right now uh, yeah. and it's because someone's blaspheming their precious Arrested Development which I, I will know. happily do uh, hey, it's such a wonderful hey, sacred look, cow hey Arrested Development a minus. Mm-hmm. It was an excellent program. Absolutely, uh, but it had its shortcomings. But Arrested Development is not the second coming of Christ, the way no. people treat well, it. And you know, I, I think especially towards the end when it barely even made sense. Yeah, and I think what it 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 was given more chances. Like people like to talk about it as like it's the example of oh the show that was canceled mm-hmm. too soon. Mm-hmm. It's like well no, I mean three seasons of a show is kind of a lot, and yeah. they responded to their. I feel like the show responded to its. Um, Getting another chance yeah. by getting crazier, mm-hmm. and in a bad way, not right? In a good right, way. right, exactly. It'd be one thing if like, no, they're sticking to their vision or they're sticking to their guns. It's like, no, you just decided to make it crazier. Anyway. Yeah, they really doubled down on the on the nuttiness. Yes, I think the uh, I think yes, the Charlize Theron related nuttiness. My problem with that show was that you would always just you could really see the gears grinding, especially as time went on. In terms of like, oh, there's a big finger that's in the background of this first scene, and there's another thing and whatever. And it's like these sure. all thing all these things are going to converge at the end. And after a while, once you see the the behind the curtain a little bit too much. It's like, okay, they're all going to come together at the end. If I know that's going to happen. Charlize Theron volunteers to be on your show, do you have to take her because she won an Oscar? She just breezes in. She just walks into an already... They're already shooting, and she mm-hmm. just walks into a scene, and the other actors know that they have to... That's just Hollywood, you she know. She did win an Oscar, right? Or did she, was she for nominated for an Oscar? For the one monster. where she was in... Yeah. Where she played one of the monsters from Monsters, Inc. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a prequel. It's the a Billy, prequel. It was, the before, they, it was before they incorporated themselves. <laughs> yes. Pre-incorporation monsters. monsters. And before the, well, the, the end, there was only one of them. At the end, it's her walking into a corporate lawyer's office to actually get incorporated. Right. 
Um, and she's got the blood of oh, people she's is, murdered on this, her hands. Uh, here, while we're on the subject of the film Monster, um, mm-hmm. here's something that happened at my job recently. Mm-hmm. Um, Pauly Shore was a guest on... I, I, the TV show I work for is The Daily Habit on Fuel mm-hmm. TV, and, it, and it, it has a portion of the show where a panel of uh, comic people and, and people from CW shows... Uh, watch, you know, funny internet videos and then kind of goof on them. This uh, is called The Daily Tosh 2.0. Yes. <laughs> Sponsored by The Soup. <laughs> Brought to you, yeah. It's called All Television Shows. Um, and Pauly Shore was the guest. And kind of the first, the first thing that came up with Pauly Shore was uh, they, wanted, they wanted the staff to write a little sketch for him to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we wrote Five different examples. They were all pretty funny, uh, but they all hinged on assuming he would want to do the weasel yes, voice. Buddy, I was going to guess. Was gonna guess uh, they all mm-hmm. featured that as kind yeah. of a as kind of a um, just a, a, a thing that happens mm-hmm. in, in all of the sketches. And can uh, I ask a point of clarification? Sure. When you say they wanted him to be in a sketch, the, do you, are you referring to executives at Fuel TV or the? Uh, the people who control the career of Mr. Polly Shore. Shore Incorporated. Uh, in this case, it was Fuel TV people. Okay. okay. They said, Polly Shore's coming on, we, you know, lightning in a bottle. Right. We got to strike while this iron's hot. Sketch comedy legend Polly Shore. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> Known for his versatility. Sure, and acting. <laughs> um, and being funny. Sure, yes. and humor. Uh, so, but, but we, so we sent all these things off, and then, you know, a day before, Polly mm-hmm. Shore told everyone that he no longer does the weasel voice. He does not do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Does he perform for money anymore? He does. He has a Showtime special. Oh. Uh, that has some sort of th- narrative through line. Sure thing. Right. Um, it's called Polly in parentheses, Jersey Shore. <laughs> that would be, that's the way he should go. Right. He should, but one of the characters' names on that is, isn't, is there a Polly? That Polly D, Pauly, right? Yeah. And there's also, his oh, last name go. is Shore. There, yeah, he's sure. back. Uh, right in the zeitgeist. Yes, yeah. nestled. Snuggled and you guys didn't. You guys didn't write that. Uh, no, uh-uh. you didn't write Polly Jersey Shore. We probably should have. It was right there. No, I don't no. mean. The, the, no, no, no. It's not the kind of thing I'm saying like, oh, that's gold. I'm just saying it's there. Right. It was it's taken quarter to two five. Polly yeah. Shore's not going to complain about it. Right. No. Well, uh, uh, it, it's, if it contains the weasel voice, he mm-hmm. will. This is no in the army now. Yeah. Uh, I I know in the army now, and this sir. Is no in the army now, <laughs> says Polly Shore. This isn't even a first draft of jury duty. Yeah, and then he's like, as says he's Polly. like putting his his papers together and putting them back in his briefcase as he's about to huff out of your office. He's like, anyway, uh, we sew. And you're like, what? What did you say? And he's like, nothing, nothing. I didn't say anything. He's like, we sew. <laughs> he can't help it. Is that about gnarly grindage? Were you saying something <laughs> under your breath about gnarly Gnar- grindage? Were you? No. <laughs> Were you, Polly? Yeah, <laughs> buddy. And then he's back. Um, so you were saying? I'm oh, sorry. on the uh, and yes, I, I promise this will relate to the movie Monster. So, <laughs> so Polly Shore just wow. does a thing where he, uh, where he watches the internet videos and riffs on them, mm-hmm. and all of his remarks are nonsense. Like I don't even know what he's talking about. It's just crazy. And they had one of the videos. It was just kind of about this crazy redneck on the local news who chased his neighbors with a chainsaw. Sure. Uh, 
And oh, let me. This also has, this thing also has a studio audience of, okay. of uh, like extras, mm-hmm. they're like background players. So they're are they all dressed in various period costumes? Like they're they were being they're extras, extras from other in shows. No, yeah, there's some Romans, <laughs> some, and a some few boardwalk empire Victorian, guys, a Victorian mm-hmm. ballroom dancers, totally a cop, an Indian, uh-huh. a construction sure. worker. <laughs> Spaceman. Spaceman. Various spacemen. Larry Spaceman. Uh, Starburns. So Starburns is there. Dino's there. So they are all like between 19 and 22 and okay. just... Confused looking. In the time I was there, they looked confused. They were, yes, they're very confused. They're very upset in general. They don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're all dressed kind of slutty. Okay. Men, the men and the women. Okay. Uh so Pauly Shore is talking about this video, this video featuring the redneck guy, and he's like, you know what this guy looks like? He looks like he's from that movie Monster. And then no one, mm-hmm. no one laughs. He's like, guys, you know, the movie Monster. <laughs> I just thought that was funny that Pauly Shore thought that was going to get this huge laugh of recognition. Yeah, Pauly Shore's like, listen, I know I don't seem super in touch. I'm not really like of this era. Right. But I know but that the Monster kids love this rape revenge drama. Rape revenge drama is based on a true story yeah. from 2000. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know a thing or two yeah. about critically acclaimed middle brow films. <laughs> But it's so weird that he said it like he was pandering. Like, mm-hmm. he said it like it was like... Uh, Twilight. Like, like, yeah, like he's saying, you know, this guy is going to give Team Edward a run for his money. You know, he's, like, it made about as much sense mm-hmm. as that. Yeah. And he was just surprised that it didn't get like this That's what he should have done. He should have said, this guy's on Team Eileen Warnos. <laughs> and that would have yeah, probably sure. won the day. I'm Team Christina Ricci in an arm cast. It's weird what people think they won't do anymore or the decisions they arbitrarily make about what they will and won't do or how they're perceived as though everyone's thinking about Polly Shore all the time. And right. being like, man, if he comes out and does that weasel voice, that means he's all washed up. But if he comes out and like defies our expectations, then he's then back. Polly's back. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Like anyone even cares a little bit whether he does one of those things or the other. Well, right. Exactly. I read an interview with, uh, I read much of an interview with Larry the Cable Guy uh, with, uh, that our friends in the AV Club did. Mm, yes. And he has a complicated set of contexts in which he does or doesn't do various degrees mm-hmm. of Larry the Cable Guy, the character. Because mm-hmm. Larry the Cable Guy, the character, is like a, is like a down homeboy, you mm-hmm. know, he's, and he's dumb as a stone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I watched a little bit of, uh, I, I had on one of those blue-collar comedy things uh, while I was just kind of cleaning the house Because you just wanted to laugh, you know? I know. Sometimes I you just, just want to laugh. My troubles. And he did a big thing about how he likes taking a dump in the cripple bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the actual, the guy who plays Larry the Cable Guy is kind of like a, he's just a veteran Midwestern road comic. Mm-hmm. Who just invented yeah, Larry it, the Cable Guy? It started guy. in as like a funny phone call for like morning zoo radio shows. Exactly, and then it became such a thing mm-hmm. uh, that people didn't no longer recognize it as a character. And he's billed as Larry the Cable Guy, mm-hmm. and he hosts this show for uh, Discovery or something like that called yeah, Ma- History Channel. History right? Channel. Yeah, yeah. There you mm-hmm. go. Called Made in America, um, and. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny if Larry the Cable Guy hosted a show for the History Channel where he like toured concentration camp, but like in like a Errol Morris like Mister Death kind of way where he's going there to like discredit right. the concentration camps. Sure. Like this residue ain't here. Get her done. <laughs> Get her done. More like six thousand. 
Oh, really? That's what they're... Oh, I don't know. He's just want, he's wanting to move the decimal point. He's right. not saying it didn't happen. Like, he's listen, like, not as many. Jews. <laughs> We're all, Let's uh, not go crazy, though. Yeah. And Larry, the cable guy, in this program, explained that depending on the situation, he will do various amounts of Larry, the cable guy. Yeah. And you can tell by how much of an accent he's doing. So, like, he said when he wants to be... When something's crazy and he wants to be really funny, he'll really do the accent. But then sometimes... When something's more like a, just a genuine one-on-one conversation, you know, when he's in journalist mode, sure. <laughs> he drops the accent. Mm-hmm. Mm. That is amazing that he has this complicated... And the reason is because he, he has that same thing as, uh, as Pauly Shore has, as mm-hmm. Andrew Dice Clay has, mm-hmm. as I'm sure Paul Rubens has, which is you create this self-like character that is not you... Mm-hmm. And then it becomes famous as if it were a person, and then you are fucked. Yes. What are you gonna? What do you do then? Or the Verizon guy? Yeah, I'm he's sure. like decides. He's like, am I gonna say, can you hear me now, or am I gonna say, can, can you hear, hear me now? Uh, yeah, that that is very. I feel like Larry the Cable Guy is his own RZA. Like he's his own spiritual guidance. Like where right. the RZA guides the rest of the Wu Tang Clan. Sure. Larry the Cable Guy does that for himself. He's like, no, no, fall back, youngin. Don't <laughs> lay into it right now. I've been his spirit guide as a talking toilet, <laughs> the talking cripple toilet, the talking cripple. What's that toilet? cripple toilet? <laughs> but then also he does the voice. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy voices a character in the Cars films. So he explained that when he is in a film and mm-hmm. he is billed as Larry the Cable Guy, he is performing in double character. So he is performing... The character as Larry the Cable Guy would perform it? Yes. It is is what if Larry the Cable Guy, the Mm -hmm. character, also had this other set of given circumstances. If I could (laughs) borrow some actor lingo. Mm -hmm. You'd know about this. You've been on Community. (laughs) And so it's it's, it's mind-bending the ex- the levels that this that this can go to but what are you supposed to do if you're Andrew Dice Clay yeah if you're the dice man mm-hmm. sure god i wish you're four, you're 50 years old mm-hmm. 55 years old you don't have a savings no nope. you didn't make an, so much money that you just have a lot of money left over right because you didn't live modestly no and america hates you when you're not doing Andrew Dice Clay voice, <laughs> but America's not crazy about Andrew Dice Clay voice. No. Sure. So you're in this position where if you go out and be yourself, America has no interest in no. that. They're like, fuck that. It's sort of like, what if Vanilla Ice went out and like br- created a new guy that he was? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants no. that. But if you don't do that, he tried to have he tried to be a rap rock guy for a while. Didn't he like have Vani- Vanilla Ice has gone through many again transformations where I think he thinks they're effective. He's like, now I'm doing this, and yeah, people yeah. are going to buy into that independently of the headline. Vanilla Ice tries his hand at yeah. blank thing. Like now he has that show where he like flips houses. Wait, does, does Vanilla yeah. Ice have no. a show where he flips houses? He has houses? a show where he flips houses. Or at least I think he either has a show or he has a website and I think wants to have a show about how he flips houses. But I think that's how he makes does, his money now. It, does he rap at all? Is that part of the house flipping? The Yes, he goes in, he records an album in there, and oh, then he oh. can say, you know, Vanilla Ice recorded an album here. Oh, wow. And they're like, okay, aren't sure. you him? He's like, no, I'm 
He just Van goes. Winkle. Robert, Van Winkle. <laughs> Robert Van Winkle. When you say he records an album, mm-hmm. I mean it's not actually an LP. It's just a single. He just goes yeah. and records Ice Ice Baby. He does it again, and yeah. then tells people that Ice Ice Baby was recorded. And in he's this house. he's he's not technically lying. And they're he's like, just hold singing on. into the notes thing in his iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, hold on, by Vanilla Ice, and he says, yes, mm-hmm. by Vanilla Ice, I know him personally. Is he? Is Vanilla Ice? Does he? I know he's a he's a guest at every gathering of the Juggalos. Does mm-hmm. he put on the clown makeup before? Do you have to put on clown? makeup? No, you don't. I mean, the jug. I've in having read many Violent J interviews uh-huh. because I feel like this year in particular he did a lot of like very legit press. Sure, he yes. was on the yeah. AV Club. My he friend was in... Andrew Nas interview. Yes, I read that Nas interview. That was incredible. Yes, incredible credi- uh, hip hop bloggers, mm-hmm. yeah. and it was a really really good interview. Um, and I have I've come to gain a lot of weird respect for Violent J. Actually, Here's to be the honest thing. with you, I've read also read these interviews. Mm-hmm. With Violent J from mm-hmm. the Insane Clown Posse. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, uh, uh, our friend, uh, my friend Andrew Nas is a man who's very knowledgeable about regional hardcore gangsta hip hop of mm-hmm. the 1980s and early 1990s, mm-hmm. right? So he he can talk with anybody from any place about the weird like he could sit down with me and talk about Messy Marv or whatever like Bay Area you know uh, uh, rappers and he does that with Violent J and you're like you know this Violent J really knows a lot about that stuff you know like he's really something but then. I listened to this song that Violent J made with Jack White from uh, that the Insane Clown Posse made with Jack White from the White Stripes. Is that did, is is that have solely to do with the fact that they're both from Detroit? Is I that believe like the only so, and I believe happened? it was a Jack White initiated collaboration. I don't yeah, I think Jack White likes to make one-off singles. Okay, and he knows about Insane Clown Posse because they have all they're both from Detroit. Okay, um, and was able to get in touch with them because they're both mm-hmm. from Detroit and. Just was like, I think the idea was who would be like the nastiest people I could put on this thing that I know. And he doesn't know, you know, Luther Campbell. And Messy Marv is busy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also Marv he's just busy. messy. He's not really nasty. <laughs> sure. He's just disorganized. Yeah. He was busy with the Bullies with Foley's yeah. project. <laughs> messy Marv read Getting Things Done and now he's just Marv. Yeah. <laughs> Regular Marv. <laughs> Standard Marv. Uh, but you were saying about, so then you read deeper so, into these Violent J things. So I read these Violent J things and he seems like a, he seems like a kind of an interest. He like he certainly knows his stuff, mm-hmm. and then I listen to this song, and I have only listened to a couple of uh, Insane Clown Posse songs in my life, um, and it had been a while since I'd listened to one. So I think I listened to Miracles when it was a viral phenomenon. Mm-hmm. When I listen to this, I'm like, well, maybe you know, Miracles is an exception, and maybe they're like competent, you know, hardcore rappers. But the ultimately, like at the core of the insane clown posse, is they are genuinely bad rappers. That's the thing. I they can, are sub professional yeah. rappers, and they're not even just sub professional rappers for 2011. Mm-hmm. They are. They would be bad rappers in 1988. Mm-hmm. They would not be. They could potentially be professional rappers in in 1988. But, like, you have to go back 25 years into hip-hop's history to get to the point where they are competent rappers, yeah. where their level of development as, as linguists mm-hmm. uh, matches the standard of the day. It says something about an artist where I can be like, yeah, I actually really respect them a lot, but only when I don't consume the art that's supposedly <laughs> their primary it's, well, it's called the Kevin Smith factor. <laughs> when The Kevin Smith factor. <laughs> when I started thinking about this, I was thinking... 
like, so how could this be? Like, how could these guys have this in-depth understanding of these these regional hip hop forms from the mm. early 1990s and this and this passion for hardcore hip hop? And then I realized, you know what? A guy who works at the Stop and Go, like a 38-year-old guy who works at the Stop and Go in Detroit, also probably has an in-depth understanding and passion for yeah. the music when he was 17 years old that dumb people listen to. Yeah. Like, he's just a normal 38-year-old dumb person. Yes. I can't give him extra credit just because he really remembers well the music of his childhood. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I give him extra credit for just having a huge chasm between his public persona and the kind of guy he actually, it sounds like he maybe is in real life. In the life. sense that he's not actually an insane clown. <laughs> yes, exactly. I guess, but also, isn't, isn't there something also to be said for they've been doing this for so long and I... I when I read up on them, I I I read about their like continuity, mm-hmm, like, the guess, mythology, the yeah, mythos, yeah, yeah, and I guess they the dark carnival, right? The yes, Joker's some, cards, sure. Um, I guess they have they put out like album like concept several albums, mm-hmm. like it's a it's a trilogy or something. Yeah. Anyways, but they put out so much music, you'd think just from a Malcolm Gladwell point of view, they would at that least they would have gotten their ten thousand hours in by this point, yeah, yeah. yeah. So why, I guess I guess I wonder are they so bad just because they're stupid? <laughs> they're just stupidity? I think they're just bad. I think yeah. they picked something to do primarily that is never going to be a strength of theirs. Like if I try as hard as I possibly can to get ten thousand Malcolm Gladwell hours of playing basketball, I'm still not going to be a good basketball, <laughs> right. like a remotely competent even mm-hmm. basketball player. What's amazing about what they do is they openly admit. That they never wanted to be musicians. They wanted to be professional wrestlers. Yes. But they were too kind of... They, they lacked whatever it takes to become a professional wrestler. I mean, for one thing, some modicum of athleticism mm-hmm. is involved. I guess a, a willingness to do be violent. And I, I, they must have some sort of performative flair, right? Because they're s- successful in their own lane. But it, just the idea that they... Uh, that th- what defines a popular rapper in their context is well we couldn't become prof- we didn't have what it takes to become professional wrestlers and it's not like they were just they were semi professional like they were on the circuit mm-hmm. working hard they couldn't make it like they didn't have what it took to become the kind of professional wrestler that just once a week goes down to like a gym with folding chairs in Daly City outside of San Francisco and like hit somebody with barber wa- barbed wire or whatever. Yeah. I do think they must or be dumb. Or barber wire. <laughs> or barber wire. Um, the the, or the, the TV Walters. show the, the yeah. TV show The Wire's mom name is Barbara yeah. Wire. Yeah. She's very nice. Yeah. Uh, but it does say something. I think they must be dumb because their fallback plan from one insane kind of career goal was another entirely insane career well, goal. I'm going to be a rapper. Again, in their own representation mm-hmm. of their origin story. They moved from the suburbs to the hood because they were inspired by gangsta music. Yep. They are the person that Tipper Gore imagined. That is, they are white kids from the suburbs who moved to the inner city and adopted to pursue, criminal behavior <laughs> to pursue a life of crime. Because they listened to too much rap music. Because that's the thing. Rap music was their third backup plan. (laughs) They couldn't become professional wrestlers, so they decided to become actual, literal, hardcore gangsters. 
couldn't cut it there. And then we're like, well, what if we wrapped while we wore these outfits we made? <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess like the uh, yeah, another another parallel to that would be kids who love marijuana so much they go out to find heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're basically like a thing that no one who is like a right-thinking liberal person wants to admit exists. They're like a person who listens to some kind of media and they actually are influenced by it to the yeah, point where they, they start practicing they the actual people, negative behaviors. They are the people people who live in the inner city and make rap music understand that it's not a literal representation of reality. And that is the thing that these these guys are so dense that they they thought that's what it was. They thought it was like a a good plan for them and not just as a metaphor, Mm. you know, not in the like Jay-Z sense where we're like taking this and applying it to that. And it's all about the hustle. And oh, well, this is an exciting way to tell Mm. a story about the hustle or rises and falls or Mm. the way the system keeps us down. They just thought the lesson of rap music was do this. (laughs) Do this. I was uh, I watched uh, I went to see the movie uh, Attack the Block. Recently. Great movie, very good movie. And this is a movie. It's it's a it's a British movie. Um, it uh, it it is a it's and it's about these kind of British uh, you know, these kind of lower middle class kids who live in a like a like a housing project that called the Block, and they have to kind of fight off these aliens. And there's this line that I really really liked when I was listening to the movie. Um, you know, there's kind of a lot of uh, chaos going around, and everybody's blaming the kids. So it's kind of like, oh, how does the outside world see these kids when they're just trying to fight these aliens? And uh, they're and just trying to fight these aliens. They're trying man. to fight the aliens. I'm just trying to fight these aliens, man. And, I wake up every day and, and <laughs> trying um, to fight these someone, aliens. Someone says to them, like, "Are you guys in a gang?" And they say, and one of the kids says, "Wake up! This isn't about uh, gangs." or uh, drugs, or rap music, or violence in video games. This is about aliens attacking. And I'm like, oh, I thought, oh, that's kind of a cool line. But then I thought, I'm like, oh, I guess, do are there Tipper Gore-like parent groups anymore that still complain about rap music and violent video games? Or violent video games, that, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah, would say so. I, I feel and like then I, I haven't even... I feel like, I mean, I remember the, like, the C-SPAN things when I was a kid where they were... You know, where there's a bunch of old C-SPAN guys looking at Mortal Kombat being played on a TV. But I'm like, does that happen anymore? Or is that just, is it just understood that video games and rap music are violent? Uh, I, I remember, I don't, I don't know enough about it to like even try to parse out what the actual details were. But there was a, I believe, a Supreme Court case or something close to it where they ruled that because people were trying to get it so that certain video games you had to have, you had to be of a certain age to like buy them. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that got like overturned or not upheld. Joe Lieberman is concerned about it to some extent oh okay i mean to the extent that he always sounds like he's about to Mm -hmm. cry yeah and also (laughs) i would love it if he was just a fan of video games in general and he didn't want violent video games because he wanted them to like expand their palette like joe lieberman's like i want more weird japanese games where you're a flower seed being buffeted about by the winds (laughs) he's like what about innovative play schemes have you played the portal series innovative play schemes sounds like a like a protagonist in an 80s movie who's good at computers would go work there, but it would turn out to be a crazy, evil place that he had to bring down from the inside. I also will say about Attack the Block, you did put me in mind of thinking about, I would love it if that instead of like dealing drugs to try to get by, Mm -hmm. that wasn't the predominant like theme in hip hop. It was instead that fighting aliens, like I just get up every day, I'm going to fight these (laughs) motherfucking aliens, man. We on the grind, son. Yeah, we got to take care of our own out here because these cops won't fight these aliens. (laughs) (laughs) We got to fight these aliens man i get up 
I get my katana. <laughs> sure. We'll be back in just a second on Jordan Jesse Go. It's Jordan Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. DC Pearson, master of calamity. It's great. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's right there with us, you know? Yeah. Love it. Um, trying to establish consistency. So <laughs> I, was, uh, I was traveling the city of Los Angeles on a sartorial adventure with a writer and reporter from uh, Gentleman's Quarterly magazine. Perhaps mm. you've heard of it. Sure. And the premise of this thing is I- I'm going to go to like do different activities. So I, I visited my, uh, my friend Raul, mm-hmm. who uh, has a custom shoe shop on La Brea here in Los Angeles called Don Vie, mm-hmm. uh, that I highly recommend if anyone is interested in, in handmade custom shoes. Um, and I went to my tailor. Is this now, and what is what is this going to be for Gentlemen's Quarterly? Either the magazine or, and the website, or just the website. Okay. They don't know yet. Will it accompany some naughty pictures of someone from Mad Men? Yeah, almost certainly. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's the main kind of thing. And they're GQ, kind of scraping right? the barrel, though. It's going to get to Sally Draper quicker than we would necessarily like. <laughs> and one <laughs> right, yes, we've already and one surprisingly good piece of feature writing, mm-hmm. and also like a profile of Jessica Biel. Mm-hmm. Um, I and then an interview with the comedian where the interviewer is trying to be funny, and you can even read in the text that the comedian is annoyed. We were, yes, <laughs> and the first in the lead on that Jessica Beale article is Jessica Beale polishes off her third beer. I'm just one of the guys, she says. <laughs> oh, podcast over. <laughs> podcast over. Um, you were saying, I'm sorry. I was so. My uh, my tailor is a custom the custom tailor here in Los Angeles. And Swift, what Taylor Swift? Oh dear! Oh, oh dear! I would. I just. Is there a non-custom tailor? Is there a tailor that you well, go and they go? I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I just take things. In. I sewed these how I wanted them to. You can take them or not. Right. So I. But I have. I have a tailor who does alterations. Okay. On gotcha. ready-to-wear clothes. Okay. And then I, I a tailor that makes clothes. I see. Okay. So and I don't make a lot of clothes for myself. It's right. very unusual because it's expensive. Yes. Sure. But in this case, it's relatively inexpensive. Uh, this is a Koreatown tailor. He's been in the business a long time. And he has this, his, like a lot of like Los Angeles businessmen, his office and, and his public space is filled with pictures of him and celebrities. And because he's a custom tailor, and because there are relatively few of these in Los Angeles, just maybe 10 or 12, and because he sometimes does film work especially, there's a lot of pictures of him with famous people. So, you know, he makes clothes for, he made clothes for Ray Charles, and he made clothes for, he makes clothes for Prince. And he makes clothes for Will Smith. Prince just brings him a pair of pants and says, cut the ass out of this. <laughs> exactly. Don Johnson, like all mm-hmm. kinds of odd. There was a picture of him and Albert Brooks, so I mm-hmm. guess he must have made something for Albert Brooks. And so that's, like, that's fine. Yeah. Like, I don't really care. No. But it's fine. But we got a little tour because the guy from GQ was there and the photographer was there wanted to take pictures behind the scenes and everything. We got a little tour of the shop and... Uh, Mr. Lim was telling us about, you know, he's been there 40 years and he bought the store in 1972. He bought the building in 1972 after he came from Korea in 1968 or some shit. And this is all good, lovely information. And I notice that there is, there's a wall of folders that contain people's patterns. 
And one, uh, and it's sort of like, it's just on bookshelves with sort of cubbies. And one entire floor-to-ceiling row has a label at the top that says Church of Scientology. So I started talking to Mr. Lim. And apparently, all of the clothing worn by the upper echelon of the Church of Scientology, including both standard clothing and Scientology vestments, is made by Mr. Lim. <laughs> so they will come to him with a drawing for what a, a, an ultra-genius space alien that uses 100% of his blood brain, or whatever it is, <laughs> wants to wear, and he makes it. Do they have crazy space robes? I think they do have secret space I guess, robes. I guess I'm imagining in my head right now the movie Beneath the Planet of the Apes, where there's that race of bald men that worships a bomb. I'm imagining those clothes. Okay. I'm imagining because oh, you I know just... what, though? I said okay, but actually I was thinking of Driving Miss Daisy. Mm. Is that a different thing? <laughs> it is. It is okay. a completely... <laughs> I mean, it's also a film. But no, mm. where he's wearing like a, one of those hats with a little black brim, you know? I'm thinking, and, yeah, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, very different. Uh, but there's that scene the, in Driving Miss Daisy where she's like, what are you doing, you dummy? And he goes off the road, and, and then a crack opens up in the earth, and then they fall down, and that, then they're in, in the Driving cavern Daisy, of Driving right? Miss Daisy, Which right? It's a prequel to Beneath okay. the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> right. Different film. Right. <laughs> driving Miss Daisy to Beneath the Planet yes, of the Apes. Yes, Driving Miss Daisy. Beneath. They both have powerful messages about race relations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and bomb worship. I honestly, you know what's actually pretty decent is Rise of the Planet of the Driving Miss Daisy. It is. I'm like, do they need to remake of this? Of the Traveling Pants. Didn't they just remake this? <laughs> But uh, uh, yeah. I will say I was not imagining that in the in the when you were describing these space robes. I was imagining because I can't get him out of my head since he was mentioned at the beginning of the story, and he has a very like one drop effect on any story where it just becomes about him for me. Mm-hmm. I was imagining prince robes because prince was mentioned. <laughs> well, that's the so, thing. I mean, maybe what they if just, they just maybe he just. Maybe he's just a huckster and he's reselling the old prince outfit. <laughs> like, well, here's your spaceman outfit. Yeah, and they're like, we're going to need an extra ass in this because we have two asses, have two technically. Two I asses. mean, the good news is that the head of the Church of Scientology is five foot one and wears pumps. Yeah. So it sure. works out fine. Yeah. It works out now, is fine. Now, is that Tom Cruise or is that David Miscavige? Yeah, sure. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> How much of her brain do you guys think Sheila E. uses? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she's got a lot of Toms. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. got to take that into account. To go... She has now joined the Church of Scientology, and she's now known as Sheila E. Meter. Nope. Oh, we God. did it. We uh, did it. This other podcast is over. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is fascinating. So would it, did you get what, like, what can if, you describe what, them? Or well, no, all, or? because it's secret. Oh, so he wouldn't let you look at So the... I don't get to but look at it. But it's just in it. a okay. peachy folder. You could have just swiped it. Well, it's not in a peachy folder, What's a Jordan? peachy folder? I guess I was imagining a peachy folder. What's a peachy folder? Well, when you, know, you just say like a, folder, you Jordan imagines peachy folders. Just something you would put in a... Oh, like a manila, like, no, not a manila envelope, but like just one of those, like, kind of... I, don't, I guess it's, I don't know what they're called. The other day, I was trying to explain to Jordan how to use the Windows file system. Okay. And I said, double-click on that folder. And he said, what folder? And I realized he didn't recognize it because it didn't have uh, line drawings of teenagers playing various sports on the <laughs> sure. outside. It, didn't have, it was not Lisa Frank. There was not... Right. There wasn't a unicorn. A right? so sort of... I yeah. was confused. Jordan is completely perplexed. I actually have a question. We, the, other, the other week, we actually talked about Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Okay. Because... 
I went to see it with uh, our friend Adam Lissagor from You Look Nice Today because in like the second, my baby was like 10 days old and I was, it was my like daddy's, daddy's day out right. was to go with Adam and see this movie. And it turns out that the whole movie is about, uh, is about father-son relationships mm-hmm. going horribly awry. Yep. And so it really upset me. Mm-hmm. And we have a similar conflict going on or situation going on in our house right now, which is this. My wife feeds the baby in the middle of the night uh, using her uh, boob milk. The baby is becoming super intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that before we go on, that 10 days into your baby being born, it's better to have a daddy's day out than it is to have a baby's day out. A <laughs> la the film Baby's Day Out, uh-huh. because no good can come of your, your newborn baby wondering, point, wondering a comic metropolis. Yes. And if at any point Dunstan wants to check in, <laughs> you don't let him. You say no. Whoa, thank Dunstan you. checks in in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Where's the crossover there? Oh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was Dunstan, at what point does he look out of his Richard hotel window? Richard Belzer is in both And Caesar's so, running by. Is yeah. Bel, is the, the Bells isn't in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, he plays the same character he does in, in Law and Order. <laughs> so these all take place in the same right. universe. Uh, but you were saying, I'm sorry. Um, so my wife has to get up in the middle of the night. And, and also, there's just a lot of time. That my wife is either feeding the baby, trying to get the baby to go to sleep, um, or I'm trying to get the baby to go to sleep, where you can't really do something. You can't really do an activity. I mean, there's a little bit of time where it's possible to like put the baby in a wrap and do a little bit of cleaning up or something like that. But it really, you have to constantly be moving this baby or feeding it or whatever. And so the real choice you have is to watch television. Yeah. That's the only thing you can do in addition to, or to have a chat. You could you maybe know? play Battleship. It's even tough. It's tough to read a book because a lot of times you have to be like bouncing up and down or rocking in a rocking chair or whatever. And so there are some good television programs, you know, and we've seen most of them. And so we're left with the rest of television programs. And I realized that it is spectacularly difficult to find a program that is good enough to watch, but also not upsetting if you're watching it at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're like yes. a little bit groggy. Well, I will say, first of all, I was just realizing this the other night, that there is a, a, a really shocking amount of like good television underground or like good like things like you know in music when someone's like oh i like this band and you could very easily if you know just a little bit about music be like oh you would like these people and these people and these people and they're like oh i don't really i didn't really know about them but just i think with the way that tv is structured and especially the way that we consume it now like there's so few canonical tv shows that you can expect this is really really good that everyone and by everyone i guess i mean like white people in their mid-20s and 30s who like went to a nice college haven't haven't seen sure. like i was asked i was talking to somebody at a party the other night and they're like oh we're watching this on netflix what are you watching like what tv shows are good that we should watch and i was thinking i was like i know you're gonna have seen them all you've definitely seen deadwood yeah, you've definitely no, seen breaking bad this, you've definitely seen weird, the wire was, yeah and I'm, I'm at this point i'm at the point where i want I'm, i want to say like unless you have a real specific observation mm-hmm. about breaking bad don't just say it's good because we know we can just the sit sun around rises and say in the that, east and yeah, yeah exactly and just the, the same good. thing with the wire at or the same thing point, with all those shows i am tired of there being a direct line between a show being good and a show being edgy. Absolutely. Well, I've I've long hated edginess. I am not bothered by swearing. Nope. I have no problem with swearing at all. I am not bothered by, like, serious themes. But I just, you know, I I feel like it, in my mind, I blame it all on The Shield, 
<laughs> yeah. Just and before the shield, I guess NYPD blue showing yeah. butts. But like, there's this thing that you know, like, not every good television program has to be both high concept and upsetting. Mm-hmm. I also could use a TV show where the protagonist has merely a single life. Yes. I don't need them to always have a double or triple life. Like, I, I kind of, I see Showtime as the sort of main, you know, like, place where all, they looked at HBO, I think, in the early sure. or 2000s, and HBO was getting all this press for being super edgy, and people were like, this is TV for adults, and HBO, or Showtime saw that, and very much like a six-year-old being like, I'm just going to mimic the, how that looks, not what it's actually about. Right, sure. They were just like, we'll have every show will be filled with sex, and everyone's a serial killer. It's like one of those games where you fold a piece of paper and to three, yeah. and then three different people draw a part of an animal without looking at the other third. It's as though they create their programs that way. Yeah. Like, the head is just a talented actress mm-hmm. who, who is a little bit too old to be getting a lot of movie work. Mm-hmm. And then the middle is just some crazy shit they thought of. Yep. And then the end is Drugs just some, William H. Some, Macy. <laughs> some gay guy they know that they think is funny. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they just put those things together and they have... I remember trying to watch Nip Tuck when I was in college. Because oh, I was in college God. for that's writing for ultimate, TV. That's the ultimate. It really is. And, I, and basically it's like when you look at these things and they're just hyper slick. Like they want to be very edgy and be very disturbing to you. But yet they take place in these beautiful magazine worlds where everything's super glossy and beautiful the way nothing is in real life. And then they still want to be emotionally affecting to you and be disturbing. And it's like, this can't be disturbing. You're just basically being like a 16-year-old goth shoving pins in your nose. Being like, isn't this fucked up? And I'm like, no, not really. That's the fleshy part of your nose. It's nothing's at risk here. And yeah. so my, uh, my issue is that my poor wife needs something to watch. Mm-hmm. And what happens is this. Like, we'll try and watch a program, and even an acclaimed program, like Modern Family. We tried to watch Modern Family, and my wife has been watching it. And it has the advantage of not being faux edgy. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Yep. However, what will happen as I'm watching an episode of Modern Family is they'll do something that's so fucking retarded, that's so insultingly inane. Like, I, I, was, watching, I was watching an episode uh, of this show the other day, I haven't watched very many of them. This was I watched the pilot, and loyal Jordan Jesse Go listeners may remember that it incensed me because <laughs> I I thought it was both in, in inane and possibly racist. <laughs> but um, uh, I I I watched a, I watched a more recent episode, and f- it was much better than the pilot, as as most you know later episodes of a sitcom are. You know, you got to f- take some time to find the characters and find your rhythm and so forth. And in a lot of ways, it's a per- perfectly good show. I mean, it definitely had funny things in it and stuff. You know, like, it wasn't a bad... Like, I'm, a, I'm ambivalent about the premise of this is a documentary when they're not doing the premise of this is a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not nuts about that. I kind of feel like you got to earn that. I, I agree. Didn't. Um, but, you know, there's different stuff about it that I'm not crazy about. I don't like, I don't like all dads being idiots. I'm not crazy about that. But... What happened in this show is some funny stuff happened. And then at the end, the sensible mom who's married to President Dumb Dad, (laughs) um, she just had a monologue that was maybe 40 seconds long where she just said the moral of the show 
while they played a montage of people learning the moral of the show underneath her sure. saying it. Mm-hmm. Sure. She just said it. Yep. She didn't even say it in, in the context of the show. Like, it wasn't even as though she said, Joe learned this, and then it was just a broad general moral that she delivered in the form of a monologue, and it's not even that she said it about herself. As she said it, they ran this montage of all the different characters of the show learning their fucking lesson. Yeah. Didn't we say that sitcoms don't have to have lessons in, like, 1990? (laughs) Like Jesus Christ! And now look, I'm not even against. Jesse, it's Shakespearean. I'm not what even. It's supposed to be. I'm not even against things having messages. Mm-hmm. But like, you're against the wrap up montage. I'm against the idea that it's like the reality. It's like how real in reality television shows they just tell you what just happened mm-hmm. and then they tell it to you again in a different form and then they show you a graphic on the screen that mm-hmm. says this just happened. Yeah. Like, and then they recap it when they come back from commercial. Like, <laughs> are people so fucking idiotic that they cannot that they cannot infer anything? That they're incapable of inferring something? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so well, I see why is, you didn't like. I, I can see why you didn't like Rise of the Planet of the Apes because, or why it affected you so much is because you're not a fan of dads being idiots. And in that, there was a dad that was, you know, he had Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's and yeah. There was, was a drug where he, he didn't was have it anymore. Literally demented. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, you missed. You probably maybe went out to the bathroom uh, during the part where they said he had Alzheimer's, and you just thought, oh, who's this, this dumb who's dude? Who's this goofy comic relief? <laughs> But I think watch himself. I think this is like drawn into sharp relief for me by the fact that I've been watching a lot of Cheers lately, Mm -hmm. and Cheers is a program where nothing is reinvented. There is no new thing on Cheers now or then. Mm -hmm. Even in 1984, I think beer had just come out though, right? (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. They had the postal service. Norm was just bursting onto the scene. Yeah, there had been a real paucity of norms. Norm was the first norm. Yeah, but but maybe wasn't it wasn't it a sitcom about a wasn't it important because it wasn't a family sitcom? No, because there had been like Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. Well, but it also wasn't a work. Pl- I mean, I guess it was a workplace for some of the characters. But I think the thing that was revolutionary about it was probably was it those like the will they won't they Sam and Diane kind of no, things. No, I think I think wasn't when was Moonlighting. I mean, uh, I, I think feel like will, sure. will they won't they. I mean, but here's the thing. Mm. So nothing about Cheers yep. is revolutionary in any way. Many of the characters are very simple. You know, Carla is simple. She hates Diane. She's, she's a fuck machine. She's mean to customers. She's, she's always a mean, mean fuck she's machine. Always, <laughs> she's yeah. always poor and pregnant, mm. and she has a shitty ex-husband. <laughs> right? Like, mm. that's Carla for you, right? And, but, she, at the, but at the end of the day, like, she's got, she's got a lot of heart. Oh, she's in love with Sam, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the, the characters, Norm is just drinks all the time, but everyone likes him anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's Norm's character. You know, so they're, they're very, it's a simple program. But there, is, there are never any moments where they just tell you something. Mm-hmm. They don't need to because they're not fucking retarded. I think that's what that is, honestly, is it's not that I don't think that they're, they're like, our audience is dumb. We need to communicate some kind of message to them. What that is is dumb people shorthand for good writing. It's not even them trying to prove something to what they perceive as a dumb audience. I think it's executives or whoever it is. I've never seen Modern Family. I've been told I would like it. But I know the type of thing you're describing. And what I think that that does is because people don't believe that pure 
your comedy is as artistically viable or good or worthy than they do of like some comedy with like a dramatic undertone where we kind of lay into what the actual message is. So I think for that reason, like a show like, I don't know, I would say like 30 Rock, although 30 Rock's won a ton of Emmys and whatever, on the whole is never, there are certain people that are never going to like 30 Rock as much as they do Modern Family because Modern Family, they're like, yeah, but there is like some heart there, you know, they're not just doing like their little jokes. But here's Whereas 30 Rock is all their little jokes, which are amazing. You won't find a bigger advocate for heart than me. Me and heart and comedy, yeah. like, I fucking love heart. I, me that's too. Why, me too. That's yeah, my absolutely. number. Sure. I, that's one, something I would, I would be inclined to complain mm. about with Arrested Development. And I'm not saying that it is that they are actually infusing heart. I'm just saying it's a lazy way to do that. Yeah. I think what ha- the impression that I get is what happens in television is executives know that there's some stuff that is important for people to connect with a show, right? And then some talented people write a show. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they range, I would, they probably range on the scale of seven to ten in how talented they are. Like, even the least talented people are still reasonably talented. It's a hard job to get. Mm-hmm. And then the really talented people are really, really talented. The sevens had just wanted to be wrestlers previously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they went through a period where they thought they could be inner city drug dealers. Sure. They started smoking marijuana. They started then... their own gang. They tried to start their own gang. I think they successfully started their own gang, but they just weren't tough enough, right? Yeah. So, um, and then just what happens is the executives just read something, and the executives just say, instead of having that thing in the thing, just say it a few times. Lay it. it Just say it over and over. And even, you know, it's especially true in reality television. I mean, I'll watch, I don't watch a lot of the nonfiction television programs, but... You know, I'll watch a little bit of like an Anthony Bourdain. Mm -hmm. And even when, like, Anthony Bourdain, number one, does this all the time. And number two, like, his idea of of rebelling against it is to do it while also kind of like saying like, hey, we're doing it. Yeah. That doesn't count. (laughs) You don't get to do it. Oh, is he like, I guess you want a message. Yeah. Yeah. So here's that message. And then he just goes, launches into his broad... Mm -hmm. You know, and nothing against Anthony Bourdain. He's he's no. he's he's one of the he's one of the top. He's something the that I've been something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, but more on the, the the topic, not so much of emotional connection or like a lame monologue at the end of your sitcom, but on the on the topic of like saying, "Hey, we're about to do this dumb cliche thing," and then just doing yeah. the dumb cliche thing and thinking that that gets you off. Is that <laughs> I feel like self awareness and tell me if this makes any sense has reached its like crack cocaine stage where uh-huh. now everyone can buy it and it's destroying our communities. <laughs> like, like, it's this basically self awareness has been around long enough and has infused its way into a bunch of like very clever people became very self aware and like this is the way to show that I'm smart. Sure. They got in control of a lot of art and culture and whatever. So it got out there and it's been around long enough that self awareness is involved in even kind of the least of popular culture. Everything has a tinge of self awareness to it. And now people that actually are not intellectually capable should not be handling the weapon of self awareness are just fucking <laughs> out there blazing away with it. What's and it doesn't. What's, what's, I would love to hear an example of bad self-awareness or self-awareness for it. Oh, its gosh. Sake. I'm trying to think of... Oh, I just think that every... I mean, this is a little more of an esoteric example, but I just know that like every... Not every show, but like so many sketch shows that I see that people do or so many like stand-up bits or... Because that's kind of w- what my world is right now is, are tinged with like, yeah, I'm doing my typical joke. Here I am being this guy. But anyway, joke. Oh, you guys don't like that? Anyway, it was a stupid joke, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, or yeah. sketch shows or people's web series where it's all about 
about like, I'm just trying to be an actor, but my show is about some dumb person trying to be an actor. And it's me commenting on that. And <laughs> sure. it's like, you don't get to play inside baseball. You're not even in the game yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, it's like, yeah. why don't you do a thing yeah. where you're Come acting like a person? Come back and talk to me when you're Oral Hershiser. <laughs> Mr. Oral Hershiser. We'll be back in just a second on Jordan Jessica. It's Jordan, Jesse Go. I am Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. DC Pearson, master of calamity. Um, shall we, Jordan, go to a few sponsorship messages? Why don't we? DC, what kind of fuel, what kind of fuel economy you get in your motor vehicle? Uh, I think it probably should be better than it is because I, I think something might be weird with the engine. It makes a weird noise sometimes, but y- it should be good. Can I tell you a, a way to find out? Sure. Visit Fuelly.com. Okay. F-U-E-L-L-Y. Mm-hmm. Track your fuel economy on there. You just, okay. when you, you type it in on your phone or whatever, when you pump your gas. Oh, okay. And then you can compare your fuel economy to other people who have the same car as you, and you can figure out if you're getting shitty fuel economy because something's wrong with your car. Sweet. I like it. Anyway, FuelLead.com, sponsor of our program. They've been sponsoring. Thank you to FuelLead for sponsoring our program for quite some time. You're yes. welcome. FuelLead.com. <laughs> That's a cartoon um, a character I invented named, named Fuley. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't think, you don't think he talks like this? No, no, Thanks, no. Thanks, guys. Is that a free gift from VMA writer DC Pearson? Yeah, Fuley.com. That's, you guys can take that. This uh, guy created Man Lady Gaga. I didn't know. <laughs> I wish. Did you write? Okay. No, let's talk Do, about our spots. Yeah, go ahead. And then VMA to be continued, questions. to be continued. Okay. Okay. So uh, let's go to the Jumbotron now. I don't know if you know this, but uh, every week we uh, share a few messages from our audience, just mm-hmm. like a Jumbotron at the ballpark. Um, what do we got here? Well, we got a personal message. This is from Jesse with a Y, mm-hmm. uh, the scourge of my beverage ordering world, <laughs> um, uh, to... Evo. I'm going to say I-V-O. That's Evo, right? Ivo? I think it's Ivo. Really? Yeah, I think so. Well, I-V-Y is pronounced Evie. Mm. So I-V-O yeah. should be pronounced Evo, I-V-Y right? is pronounced Evie? It's not pronounced yeah. Ivy? Like Evie-covered walls of <laughs> Wrigley Field. Hmm. <laughs> right? I don't know, man. Poison Evie? Yeah, like Poison Evie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This was in one it of the Planet a, of the Apes movies. It wouldn't be a funny name if it wasn't, you know, Evie, right? Yeah, fair enough. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I concede. Um, this message is for either Ivo or Evo. Um, hey, this message is for everybody out there. All the lovers. <laughs> Who has a robot name? Evo, Ivo, mm-hmm. Ivy, mm-hmm. Evie. Ivar. Arvar. Ardvar. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's, here's the message. There is no one I'd rather be in an adoption waiting pool with. Isn't that sweet? Oh, that is sweet. Yeah. They're going to adopt a little baby. Oh, he's... Okay, the one isn't adopting the other one. Or are they both ado- potential Ivo adoptees? Isn't, Ivo isn't being adopted. <laughs> I Maybe think they might be both waiting to be adopted. Yeah. They might just be in a pool at an adoption center. Maybe. This, no, I, I thought, yeah, maybe this is kind of a, hey, may the better is orphan it, win is kind it, of thing. Is it, like, this is yeah. a... Oh! Like, hey, I know we're both orphans. Okay, so this is two... Like, from, hello, hello governor. Yeah. <laughs> so, is, now, is, been, it, is it waiting? There's no one I'd rather be in an adoption waiting pool with. Hawk two, or just spit in me hand and yeah. grease me air back. 
<laughs> I know sometimes we scrap over the last bit of gruel. Now, I don't. Now, go on to the podcast listening station that our old school orphanage has so you can listen to Jordan Jesse go. Um, we also have a commercial message this week. It's from a program called How Can I Help San Diego? Um, it, how can I help? It's an educational television program based in San Diego, and it's all about businesses and nonprofit organizations enhancing the local economy, community, and environment by educating, implementing, creating, or currently using green practices and sustainable solutions. So it's about businesses in San Diego who are doing different stuff mm-hmm. to promote green lifestyles and green business, which, of course, is like a huge, important I mean, I think as much recycling and cutting up of six-pack things as we do, (laughs) like, ultimately, what it's really about is, do you paint the roof of a giant corporate building a different color so that you save 10,000 air conditionings a year? Mm Mm-hmm. I think what would really help San Diego... I didn't know that the unit of air conditioners was air conditioning. Yeah, one, like one air conditioning. One conditioned air. <laughs> it, was, it was actually invented by Evo Air Conditioning. Yeah, I should probably recuse myself from this ad because I have a, a, a program have a... called um, How Can I Help San Diego, which is where we try to help out Carmen San Diego to find job placement. <laughs> oh, okay. Think, using her skills. Yeah, escape her skills such as Yeah, exactly. Her. Or to, like use her skills such as sneaking around, uh, sure. pulling the entire Taj Mahal behind her somehow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but this sounds like a great service as well. Yeah, no, this is really cool. And you can see all of their episodes for free at Facebook. So if you go to facebook.com slash how can I help SD, um, not to be confused with NTSF SD SUV, our friend Paul Shear's television program. This is how can I help SD? And you can like it on Facebook and you can watch all of the episodes absolutely for free it's facebook.com slash how can i help sd and uh if you want to get up on the jumbotron it's maximumfun.org slash jumbotron if you want to sponsor jordan jesse go or any of our maximum fun shows you can email teresa at maximumfun.org and we'll talk to you more in just a second on jordan jesse go Jordan, Jesse, go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. D.C. Pearson, master of calamity. Having some fun with the great D.C. Pearson. Up here in the clubhouse. Laughing and loving. Should we call yeah. this the clubhouse? That seems kind of dorky, though. Yeah, it is. Well, it is. We are kind of up high, and I can look what out about the window the and see tower? trees. I have been Ooh, meaning I like to institute a no girls allowed policy. <laughs> I just, like, I'm afraid their menstruating will attract bears. That's reasonable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you gotta fucking, well, you gotta take that into account. Mm -hmm. You gotta make that part of the calculus, if you will. I'm worried that they'd tear our friendship apart because Jordan and I seem like we'd be into the same kinds of girls. (laughs) Oh, sure. Yeah, I know. Um, Our friend Brian Fernandez is back on the boards uh, delivering the good calls to us, and he has sent to us a moment of shame. Shall we, gentlemen? Mm -hmm. We shall. Hi, Jordan and Jesse. Um, this is Jesse in San Francisco. I'm calling with a moment of shame that I haven't thought about in years until your program reminded me of it. I was in an American Studies class, and it was like the sort where, you know, we would have rap sessions about history. And I had a really big crush on the teacher, and I really wanted him to think I was cool. 
we were talking about Ben Franklin, and I wanted to be a bit of a Ben Franklin expert. So I said, oh, well, you know Ben Franklin. He was up to no good, just chasing the muff around. <laughs> but then I realized by the class's reaction that I didn't actually know what muff meant because I was a 16-year-old girl, and I was just quoting dazed and confused. <laughs> Thank you very much. But I mean, he did, right? He, was, yeah, he, he actually did. Muff around. She was yeah. smarter than she knew. Yeah. He was a he was a muff chaser of some renown, as yeah. I understand it. Feel like chasing muff. <laughs> um, yeah, we got to learn to play that on the harpsichord. <laughs> <laughs> that is a pretty mortifying story. I feel like I have many instances of that. I wish one would spring to mind at this moment. But like when you're a kid and you're trying to be like precocious, and so you uh-huh. say and repeat something that you've heard from some kind of media that's maybe a little bit above your station, and it turns out like you don't actually know what it means. I yeah. mean, was definitely that occurred a lot. I never said chasing the muff around in a historical context, though. Yeah, I uh, I remember a I was in I did a I did a little short stint in Boy Scouts. Okay. And um, uh, there was a box car, not a box car. Uh, what's what's it when you make the little car? You don't slot, sit in slot car. You don't derby s- something. No, car I guess derby? slot cars they're electric. Oh, but, okay. uh, pine 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 box, box pine derby. Box. Sure. Uh, pine hat. Yes. Um, and this being the this being the um, this being whatever year it was, some mm-hmm. kid made his pine box car to be shaped like the Rocketeer, mm-hmm. and. Um, one of the one of the older boys whispered to me in confidence, um, "Hey, that guy's is the Rocketeer. It's more like the Rocket Queer." And uh, I I did not know that queer was derogatory for gay. I thought it meant strange. Um, uh-huh. So when he was racing the car, I yelled out, "He's the Rocket Queer," and probably just seemed like the worst. Like I and wow. my, made my parents. Were seem you excited awful. about it? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was just something funny to <laughs> yeah, say. Right. Anyway, well, let's uh, let's listen to some momentous occasions. <laughs> hey, Jordan. Hey, Jesse. This is Adam from Pennsylvania, and I'm calling with momentous occasion. So I just received my first blowjob, and immediately prior to this blowjob, I hooked my iPod up to my speaker system and put on Hot Tubbin by Ashcon. <laughs> and I must say, it's a great song to receive one's first job too. No, it isn't. It's a terrible song. I mean, a, any, any, any song, song where is. you're getting yeah. a blowjob right. yeah. becomes appropriate. Right. <laughs> Especially when you have that kind of teenage first blowjob power penis. Y- yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> I agreed immediately and then realized I had no idea what you were referring to. I mean that when when you don't have a lot of sexual experience mm-hmm. and you're a gentleman and you have your junk down there, mm-hmm. anything that happens to that by virtue of someone else doing it yeah. is off the charts. It really it's is. It's unreal. Yeah. You, it's not an experience you need to garnish in any way with music, no. food, no. Uh, anything. <laughs> perfume there's nothing that's going to improve it seriously a cocked eyebrow is enough to take care of business <laughs> absolutely that uh i that does remind me though i will say of i do not still to this day have sex to music really i don't yeah, like it. it's not something yeah, i, I seek out I i'm too I like i get too weirdly i'm too affected by music's like moods it doesn't put me in a mood but it puts me in a certain mind of a yeah. mood and it makes it feel too like we're trying to be cinematic or something and it like right. i don't like it I it's just, just too pretentious sure it does it, it's if, if, if the music 
is too on the nose, yeah. that's funny. Mm-hmm. And if it's a little bit off the nose, that's also funny. So it puts me in mind of two quick stories. The first of which uh, is more germane to this exact, what this guy's saying, whereby when I was receiving from my first girlfriend in like high school, like not my literal first blowjob, but what, like it had to be one of the first at that sure. point. Sure. Uh, and I had Weezer's The Blue Album on. Mm. Uh, I didn't, I don't think I'd thrown it on. I think it was just the kind of thing. It's like, oh, your parents are home. Let's put on some cover sure. or whatever. Uh, the song uh, Say It Ain't So was on. And I am the kind of guy who, if I know a song really well, will just sometimes just, I'm very annoying and that I will absentmindedly kind of sing along with it without really <laughs> realizing I'm doing it. Uh, she is uh, performing oral sex on me. I ejaculate. Uh, and absentmindedly, as I'm just kind of being in like, a, oh, I just got a blowjob, like literally job. just finished, I happen to sing along to it to the part where he goes, so be cool. Ah. And she like whacked me and she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I wasn't thinking. I don't know what. She's like, what does that mean? And I was like, I was just singing along with the Were you thing. saying that blowjob wasn't cool? And I was like, be cool, baby. Be cool. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that's why that blowjob was about divorce. Um, wow. But uh, then the other quick story that it puts me in mind of is there was a girl that I dated in college who loved ABBA. She was like, I love ABBA. She told me that on her first date. And I think it was the kind of thing that you sort of affect when you're in college to be like, I'm interesting. Sure. She's like, I just love ABBA. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then she, she went. She seen uh, Uriel's wedding. <laughs> she remembered how admirable and cool the main character was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, I don't think she was very conversant in film. Um, I said like that was a problem. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so she, but then we go back and we're at her place and we're hooking up for one of the first times that we were actually like hooking up and she goes and puts on ABBA. Like she puts on, I think wow, like the, she's, the hits. She's committed to her. Yeah, and then she started, we were like doing stuff and then she started like laughing. And I was like, what is the deal? She's like, oh, it's just the music. And I was like... <laughs> You put it on. Yeah. Like, why are you having this reaction Waterloo. to this? Yeah, exactly. Because it was silly having sex to the song Waterloo. Uh, but then she would laugh about it. I'm like, why are you laughing? And she would just, it was, it was, it was that. That, uh, thank you. You're welcome. More of this at your one man show. <laughs> yeah. Hey, JJ Go. This is Ryan from Eugene, Oregon. And I have a momentous occasion. I was riding back to work from uh, picking up some stuff for my wife's birthday, which is this weekend. And as I'm riding down the alley, there is a McDonald's burger wrapper floating in the air about 10 feet away from anything. And as I'm riding, I'm looking at it, and it starts floating towards a dumpster, a big dumpster, the one taller than me, and it's flat on the top. And it's got the lid just a little bit open. And I'm riding there praying, oh, I hope it goes in, and it does. It floats right in this crack that's no more than a foot tall floats right into the dumpster nature is recycling on its own now have a great day it's just nice to hear a young person who's inspired by the natural world (laughs) sure you know it's like that feeling that you he really has that feeling that that they were trying to generate with like uh, marty stauffer's wild america you this know, his, those two this, rams crashing into mm-hmm. each other. This is his Walden. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, Jordan, Jesse Go, David from Milwaukee, calling with a momentous occasion. Uh, I was driving in a suburb uh, just outside of Milwaukee and pulled up to a red light in the car next to me, you know, maybe late 90s Honda with a woman in her late 40s with leathery tan skin and a black tank top was shaving her armpits at a red light in the driver's seat. I thought that was pretty fantastic. Have a great day. I think there should be an actual rule that you can do anything inside your own car. 
Like I people think kind of think they should. And on the one hand, like one's first reaction to that is, "Hey, you're in public, buddy. Don't pick your nose." Mm-hmm. But I think it would be better if there was a rule that said, "Yes, you can do anything, and no one is allowed to call you on it." I'm in my <laughs> private <laughs> world. This sure. doesn't have windows because I want to let you see in here. It has windows so I don't kill you when I'm driving around right. and I can see where I'm going. You can do. You can. You could. You could do anything inside yeah. of this. Space. I mean, you can lance boils. Mm-hmm. You can cook. You can do cooking. You mm-hmm. can, you can check boil. yourself for testicular cancer. Yeah. Uh, I always get self-conscious about because you'll be bopping around L.A. and you won't have time to run home, but you also won't have time to necessarily like sit and eat a full like meal. Sure. And so you'll get something like to go, not even fast food, but maybe you go to like Whole Foods and get a nice pre-made sandwich or salad or something. Mm-hmm. And instead of sometimes at a place, if they don't have a seating area or it's full or something, I'll go eat in the car. And I feel like, but so much of what I do in L.A. is to try to seem not homeless. So I'm always worried I'm going to be seen <laughs> by someone like, oh, he lives in there. That's yeah. where he lives. And then I don't want to be Jewel. I'm not. No, who does? Well, you have that long hair and beard. That That's you true. Do. You want to be, you be Lisa Loeb. Yeah, I do want to be in, on many levels. Sure. Uh, I, right now, I hear all of these, and I just cause, think because mainly we've gotten a lot, of, uh, a lot of this type of call recently. I feel like I'm wondering how every call is going to involve a blowjob. Uh-huh. When they start it, I'm like, who's getting a blowjob in this one? Anyway. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's worse things. Mm-hmm. That dumpster was giving a blowjob to that to that rapper. rapper. Yeah, I, well, I that put me in mind of like if instead that old trope of like the billionaire putting like a twenty dollar bill or something or a dollar bill on like a fishing rod and like pulling it along <laughs> to try to, <laughs> to, to try to tease a poor person. I'm like, it puts me in mind of like just some person putting a like hamburger wrapper on a thing and just pulling along a very like you know NPR listening recycle e person to just like <laughs> I'm gonna pick that up and throw it away and it's making me. Extra extra anger because it's a hamburger wrapper and i hate fast food as it is so i gotta get that sure and then it's just hilarious like it's michael pollan or something yes it's michael pollan and he's like i'm going to uh my grandma would not have had a wrapper on the hamburger (laughs) on the wrapper on the hamburger i don't know at any rate yeah burger on the wrapper burger on the wrapper he wouldn't have had a rapper who was a just a failed professional wrestler. He wouldn't have had a rapper who all you could say about him is that he was messy. We'll be back in just a second on Jordan Jesse Go. It's Jordan Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thornberry. Jordan Morse, boy detective. DC Pearson, master of calamity. I, I enjoyed that program, Jordan. The one that we just did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun. I'm glad we stopped it. When DC made that Jessica Alba remark. I'm glad yeah. that it ended there because I think we probably would have just run out of steam, you know. Right. Spun our wheels. Sure. I had read an actual January Jones GQ profile that I think it wasn't that exact thing, but it was that kind of thing. Yeah. Where it was just like, she's just one of the guys. And I was just like, she's just drinking beer. Right. <laughs> that's it. I know. Women drink beer. Sure. Like, that's no, not... but that's not even what it is. She's just a pretty lady that's talking to you, yes, a dumpy exactly. guy that writes for GQ. Exactly. I like that. I'm thinking of like when you were talking about the GQ writer who's interviewing a comedy person trying to be funny themselves. I like imagining a schlubby male GQ writer trying to be a hot woman when he's talking to January. <laughs> uh, she's like clearly annoyed. Yes. Like, you don't have to be a hot woman. He's trying to just give her makeup me tips. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we. I think. I think that something that we here at Jordan Jesse Go could do for the community is call for an end to non-funny magazines trying to be funny. 
I agree. I, I or just trend pieces about comedy in general. Yeah, I was like, comedy is out there. It's funny. You go find it. It's never comedy is rarely well written about in a but way that, that but it, it, it reflects. I don't think we should try and stop having uh, press on the industry in which we work. No, That's I agree. Not what I agree I'm with that. For. No, 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 no. I'm not. What I don't I'm know. arguing yeah. for is is the part of the magazine that I guess what Maxim decided should be funny mm-hmm. or FHM or yeah. something. At some point, they decided that the kind of flip through part of the magazine, the non feature article part of the magazine, should be funny. Mm-hmm. Rather than just have interesting, right? Rather than interesting, or a picture of a hot new sandwich, mm-hmm. and so they, but they didn't hire comedy personnel. They yeah, hired people you know, not from the comedy world, but from the world of irreverence. This is uh, this <laughs> the world of general magazine writers. This is a problem in television as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, not thinking, wanting something to be funny, but not the. The first thing you do isn't hire a comedian to mm-hmm. do it. Because, yeah, you know, I thought, you know, our, our, our buddy Rob Delaney writes a GQ mm-hmm. thing every now and then, and it's yes. very funny. And yeah. when uh, Bob Odenkirk drops something in Vice, it's mm-hmm. always very good. So, yeah, I think, uh, please, make funny things in your magazines. But have, have comedians them, that's, do them. yeah, that's a good, that's a good middle ground. That's the issue I think that... I'm calling for an end of any press that isn't about me. Right. Okay. I'm a right. moratorium on all non me press. Show. Exactly. Well, so this did... is episode two of Jordan Jesse Go, right? Yeah. Because I've done there's the yeah. episode one with DC Pearson and episode two. And with I did DC Pearson, I right? did get your publicist's release about how you're not homeless. <laughs> yeah. I would that is something I would put out there because I'm so self conscious about of, seeming homeless. There's a lot all of time. publicity shots of you in a home, you holding <laughs> deeds. <laughs> Yeah, I bought. I've purchased. It's not just I'm paying rent. I'm a homeowner. Sure, I've Uh, got. um, I I like the trope in like old cartoons, like someone stealing the deed and then then owning the house. Oh, I'm holding it. It came out of my hand. Anyway, Um, I've got a tweet of the week for you. Uh, We encourage people to hashtag it. JJ Go on the Mm -hmm. tweeters. Uh, This one is from Nolan. Uh, Nolan at unnolan underscore s. Mm -hmm. Uh, She wrote. This week's JJ Go provides audio evidence that Jordan likes chunky girls. If he likes lesbians, we're a match made in heaven. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, but wait, is all that it takes for a girl to, or to, uh, a lesbian to get with a man is that the guy is into lesbians? I don't think that's how that works, right? <laughs> yeah. I think she has to be attracted to you as I well. I don't know. I like, all lesbians are just so sigh. <laughs> I happen, only the boys liked me. I happen to have read more than my fair share of rapper interviews. Uh-huh. And as I understand it, Keep those faggots away from me. <laughs> but lesbians bring them on. Mm-hmm. Right? Is, am I mistaken in thinking? That? I no. think that's how it works, right? Th- that's, that's how they want it to work at any rate. Yeah. So Certainly. They, yeah. Well, I mean, rappers always want to make mm-hmm. out with lesbians. Yes, all the time. Yeah, that's why you see so many uh, rappers hanging out at the Whole Foods in Berkeley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or just like the bicycle like, bookshop <laughs> slash co-op. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Mr. Cal did that uh, guest spot on Ani DeFranco's last album. Yeah, sure, sure. He wanted to impress the lesbian fans of Ani DeFranco. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ani herself is a heterosexual, right? She has like a kid. She's married, maybe. Don't know. Let's, that was that was a good. Well, Ani 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 DeFranco Ani DeFranco's character works. is a lesbian, but she doesn't do that character anymore. Oh, okay. She's I retired mean, that alter. Ani Dice DeFranco. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, what you could have gone Slater Kinney, I guess. Yeah, that would have worked. 
Yeah, yeah but everybody what's the likes new, Slater what's Kenny. The, what is the new? The new lesbian go-to. What's a like temper like a college experimental lesbian? What do they listen to these days? Yeah, we should check in. It's too bad. Um, uh, our former intern Mariel was over here yeah. earlier, and she is younger than us. She is uh, into indie rock, and Ooh, she is a lesbian. Okay. So she could have given us a clue into the lesbian experience. Hmm, interesting. Circa, you know, college oh, And age. then we could take Tegan her iPod. And and, and yeah, well, Tegan and Sarah was, that was when we old. were in college. That's old. Yeah, right? exactly. That is also the mistake that I now make, is that Le I Tigre think that... was also I think we that in college, my, you know? And I think this is how it works for every generation, but I think every generation thinks that the music that was popular when they were in college amongst college kids it is now is. the cool thing forever. I still think I will still sometimes pull Dave Matthews yeah. fan, and it's my, probably so, like, wildly... My friend Dynamo not, not makes right. the, like... She makes those, like, Mad Men Yourself art and stuff, and now mm-hmm. she does this thing called Hipster Animals, which is on Tumblr, and she was asking me because she... She needed to know for a specific for hipster animals. She's like she had tweeted like, "What's a good like you know thing that a scenester girl in Brooklyn right now would definitely listen to?" Yeah. I'll bet you at DC Pearson knows. And then that threw me into a spiral of being like, "I need to know this because yeah. I've been called upon. It's something that I should know." And then I just came up totally short. I kept going to things that were popular when I was in college, yeah, but that yeah. hasn't been for four or five years now. So I guess I think that like, oh, when I was in college, like. You could still say Fish and Grateful Dead for hippie mm, specific. Right. So Dave Matthews Band and Spearhead probably just stay there too. Right? I think Dave Matthews Band continues on, but I think that's more of a fratty thing than a hippie thing. Jack, I think there's Jack o- Johnson OAR. is Jack, Jack Johnson's Johnson very is fratty. The new Dave Dave yeah. Matthews Band, but even oh, he, okay. I feel like, is, be, is is he must have been supplanted by now. Jack Johnson, I feel like there must I, be some new. I guy. listened to an interview with Jack Johnson, and he genuinely seemed like like the classiest nicest like brightest most decent fellow in the world and his music makes me want to shoot myself in the I have face. I have long said that I feel Jack Kevin, Johnson is Jack Johnson nah, is somebody quite. that I feel like I will have an experience like my dad had with Yes where Yes was really popular when he was in his 20s and he hated them yeah, yeah. and then in his like 40s and 50s he started you listening to Yes and he was pretty like this good. is pretty good I feel like I'm going to have that with Jack Johnson uh, where right Jack now Jack, I can't stand it can, I, but I can hear I can hear the echoes of a 50 year old possibly divorced me Jack being like, Johnson you know what? was doing an interview about an entire tour he was doing exclusively for charity wow. where all of the all of the money from no the entire tour like it was like a four month tour wow. all went to charity and I hated him during the entire thing mm. but I felt so bad about it but in fairness the charity was kegs for dorms yeah <laughs> Nolan, <laughs> Nolan underscore S send me an email jesse at maximumfun.org with your uh, address and your unisex t-shirt size and we'll send you a t-shirt and also if you emailed, um, uh, if you emailed Paulo last week, if you were one of the first two winners of this, and uh, he didn't tell you that he was sending a shirt, uh, email me because uh, he quit unexpectedly. You know what would be fun? We if could we maybe get wrangle a college kid to? Because okay, I feel like here's my thing: is like just as a as yeah. a comedy person, I don't really care about what is going on in the college. I just need to know for what to specifics, say for jokes. For jokes, exactly. And we, so and you're, what are you, you're, what you're still supposed, looking specifically yeah. for a cool lesbian thing? Uh, I mean, I would just like to run a... Le a Tigre I would, equivalent? You would like yeah, to know I, what I, the I wanna, broad spectrum is. But I just want to know a lot of For things. types. A yeah, totally. Of, so what you're saying is we need like a correspondent, like a man on the street, yeah, whose job it is to just kind of record it. This kind of guy's listening to this. I have some concern that if we throw that out there to our audience, what we will get back is that what is cool in colleges right now is 
watching Monty Python and listening to They Might Be Giants. <laughs> oh, <laughs> to a certain, so you're saying that the this evergreen. is a demographic issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Go at MaximumFun.org, our email address. Uh, 206-984-4FUN, our telephone number. Um, I, I think especially... Especially if you're a cool lesbian in college right now. If there's any cool lesbian things that all cool lesbians are into together. Which to me really just, that all that says, you're a lesbian in college. Because if you're a lesbian in college, you're You're cool. cool, You're pretty cool. That's true. Definitely all the lesbians I knew in college were really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, uh, where is your, where where and when is your one-man show, DC? Um, It is at, uh, I want you to, I wanted you to have said it with the amount of disdain that you said when I first mentioned it. Okay, how about this? Okay. So let's just say I want to go out to the fucking theater and see some asshole switch hats to share stories from a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, well, then you can go to In the Heights, uh-huh. which is uh, touring <laughs> yeah. all across this great land of ours. Uh, no, so the, the show is... Devere Smith does have a new show. <laughs> um, the show is... Uh, it's a storytelling show, so it's just me and a microphone. There's no hats. There's no spotlight. There's no me being like, boom, I was just a small town girl. But uh, You take your dick out a couple times. I do take my dick out a couple effect. times, but it's only for comic effect, not for dramatic effect. And then I do a monologue that wraps it all up. As uh, your dick. <laughs> as my dick. Uh, but the show is called DC Pearson is Bad at Girls. It is at the UCB Theater in Los Angeles, uh, which you can go to ucbtheater.com uh, and get tickets. Tell me more and the about show, this UCB Theater. The UCB Theater. Uh, is uh, and the show is on uh, September 18th at 9:30, and then I'm going to hopefully do it again in October. But people should go get tickets for that September one. Cause what day are we? What day of the week are we looking at? That is a September? Sunday night at 9:30. So 9:30. Sunday, mm. September 18th. Get yourself out to the UCB Theater mm-hmm. to see uh, DC, and you can get your tickets uh, in ahead of time at ucbtheater.com. Um, and uh, gee whiz, uh, I think that's everything. I'm still yep. a little incoherent because of this baby. I got to be honest <laughs> with you. I still have a hard time keeping my train of thought straight. Give the baby the Planet of the Apes drug. Right, 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 right. I should give myself the Planet of the Apes drug. If it made me as handsome as Lithgow, oh man, <laughs> was he not? <laughs> that's what it was. That's what it did, right? It made him, yeah. Well, it made I think people it, as handsome. I think it as... makes you. It stop, what that drug does is it makes you stop overacting mercilessly. <laughs> <laughs> and some some light piano skills. Yeah, yeah a little like, bit. I, I do feel like the the dementia part of that movie was essentially John Lithgow with sort of a uh, sort of a, a littering Indian single tear coming out of his eye, yeah. hitting his head on a door jam. <laughs> yeah, he was like, that's he, the representation he, of dementia. He was also the old goofy man from the movie Hook, who's lost his marbles. <laughs> the the non dementia scenes, Lithgow did not know the camera was on. That's how they tricked him. <laughs> we'll talk he was to you. Not demented. We'll talk to you next week on Jordan Jesse Go. Thank you.